Good morning. It's good to see you. This morning, uh, going to talk about another life verse. We looked at uh, Habakkuk 3.19, 1 John 2.10, and now this morning, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I suppose uh, it could be argued that any verse and every verse is worthy to be considered a life verse, but there are some verses that for reasons within the Bible themselves stand forth and gain a little attention. And these two verses in the beginning of chapter 12 are certainly of that caliber. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These two verses, in a fashion, summarize the life in Christ God wants us to live. They summarize the life in Christ God wants us to live. And that uh, makes it very serviceable and useful. When we were first married, Shelly ate like a bird. You know what that means? Yeah, she would just peck a little here and there. She didn't have much of an appetite. She just nibbled on things. And she would say, I wish I just had a pill I could take. You know, and instead of eating a big meal, she'd just like to be able to reach into her purse or grab a bottle off the counter and pop a pill. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. There are times where you're so busy you wish you could just take a pill and get everything you need in that one convenient means of delivery, a pill. Well, 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's a meal in a pill. And in it, we see our response to God. Paul wrote Romans in the mid-50s of the first century. It would be in just a few short years that he would find himself in prison for the balance, most likely the balance of his life, and, and end up in Rome. But when he wrote this, he was hoping to travel to Rome, not under guard, uh, not under indictment, not to gain a hearing, a court hearing with the emperor, who at that time was Nero. But when he wrote this, he hoped to go to Rome, and then that magnificent city, which was, you know, you've heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome, 
At that time, Rome was the center, it was the hub of the world, and he hoped to go there uh, to fellowship and spread the gospel, and then from there, go beyond to Spain and places even further and let people know the news. The news. The news of Jesus Christ, God's good news. So he wrote this epistle, you know, and it was forged by his years of planting churches and telling people about Jesus Christ. It was a kind of a full-formed presentation. This is the gospel. And in 11 chapters, he lays that out, particularly focused on the church at Rome, the Jesus people living for Christ in the imperial city, the capital of the world, Rome. And there were some issues that he was aware of, and he addresses those, but he takes 11 chapters to basically set forth the news. The news that he's committed to, the news that his life is devoted to, to spreading, to investing in the lives of others, that we and the world might know Jesus Christ as Lord, as the Messiah. And when he finishes that, he comes to these two verses. And that's the reason for the word, therefore. Therefore. Because of the news, as I have set it forth in the previous 11 chapters, which they didn't have at that time, we have conveniently uh, organized it in chapters so that we can find together, as we did this morning, uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12. But therefore, he says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies. In other words, present your body, present your life as a sacrifice some translate it living sacrifice, but there are three adjectives to the sacrifice. One is that it's living, the second is that it's holy, and the third is that it is pleasing. And he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. It's a hard expression to fully grasp and, and to convey in words, but it's the fitting, it's the appropriate, it's the reasonable service that we owe to God and which we give him in worship. And so it is, after 11 chapters, the most mature, so to speak, presentation of the news, God's news, to the world, sent to the capital of the world, the centerpiece, the city of the world, Rome. Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And what God has accomplished 
in sending, in the life, the death, the resurrection, exaltation of Jesus Christ is earth-shaking, life-changing, and it represents the epitome of the mercies of God. And it is for that reason and by virtue of those mercies that Paul says, here's what you need to do. This is the proper response to the news. This is the acceptable response. <laughs> Present yourselves, offer yourselves as a offering to God. And that's why real worship is the offering of our everyday life to God. You can absorb that. And that's why I call this a life verse, because realizing that worship is not something just that I do when I gather together with the other people who have devoted their lives fully to living for Jesus Christ. We do that on Sunday, and we call that going to church. <laughs> we are the church, but we go to church. And when we're there, we worship the Lord together. And that is something very special. And we are called to get together and worship as his people, his children, his church, which means fellowship, community, uh, brother and sisterhood in Christ. But I didn't have that in my head. I thought you go to church on Sunday. And now my eyes, my heart was open to the fact that worshiping God is a life experience that I offer to him each and every day. I try to do it each and every moment. And here, in verse 2, he will, in some ways, I would call it turn verse 1 inside out so we can see and understand how that happens each and every day. And I want to talk about by God's mercies. I want to talk about presenting or offering. You know, when we say, hey, I'll make you an offer, that is not, <laughs> that's not sufficient to understanding what I mean or what your translations, those that use the word offer, mean when we talk about offering our body. That's a sacrificial word. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But present as an offering also captures that. And then by renewing our minds. Back in the 70s, I don't know if you can see, but that's a button. That's an actual photograph of a button from the 1970s. 
about 77, 78, and it was associated with what was called uh, basic youth conflicts. I went to a couple of those as a, as a new believer. I know that makes a lot of sense to you. P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Have any of you ever seen that button? Do you, any of you recall that button? Yeah, there's a, a, a hand or two. I don't even think three, but two. And we would wear these buttons and people would look, you know, confused. They say, what's that all about? And we would say, well, what that stands for is, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And it would often be an opportunity to share how God was working in my life and share who Jesus is and how he's completely changed me. And uh, I love that little expression. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And, and, I'm, and now I just want to say to you, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. I think that's such a beautiful expression. It's, it's, it's so easy to remember. It, it can be... It, can be so genuine, come straight from the heart. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And I like to extend that, whether people ask me or not, because it kind of shapes the way I see what God is doing in this world. Not only do I want you to be patient with me, but I want to be patient with others because I see God at work not only in my life, but in your lives. And not only in your lives, you who look so Christian, but in those who don't look so Christian. Because the reality is, is that God is at work in their lives as well. And they may be fighting him with all their might, but God is pressing and persistent. All the people that disgust and upset you, God is working in their lives in ways that you cannot see or imagine. They may be fighting him with everything they've got. They may be leaning, trusting, and believing in the things that the world so readily excuses them of and arms them with against the reality of God and his work in their lives because they too are believers, and they too are trusters. They just haven't turned their lives over to God through Jesus Christ. They haven't comprehended his offer. Perhaps they haven't faced their humanity, which can have a very high sense, but also a very devastating sense. You see, and what I've tried to illustrate is that in this one button, if you think about, if you kind of think about it, it isn't just an appeal, be patient with me. It helps me to realize I'm supposed to be patient with others. Why? Because I believe, I believe God is at work through Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible. I believe the gospel. 
Now you might say, you don't even need to say that to us, John. But you see, well, I read a little story. It's, I, I think it's supposed to be humorous. I don't know that it's uh, humorous, but two, two little fish are swimming along. And a much older fish swimming in the opposite direction. And as it swims by, he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And they continue to swim in opposite directions. And then one of the young fish says to the other that he's swimming with, What's water? Sometimes we're immersed in these things and we don't realize we, we've forgotten how much God has done in our lives, changed our outlook, changed the way we see the world. It's hard for us to sometimes step back and realize people don't see it the way we do and they don't treasure it like we do. And sometimes, because we're so comfortable and familiar with it, we don't treasure it because we don't see it from the world's perspective anymore. We've been so changed, we've forgotten what it's like to live in the cold world. To not have a God who we are convinced and assured is for us. We have a, the ability to remember because we don't have that contrast. And it is like fish swimming in water. And one fish says, how's the water? And they say, what's, what's water? You see, I can know that God is patient with you because I know God's patient with me because I know God through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, I know God's, God's outlook on the world and what he's trying to do in my life and in your lives and in the lives of those who have yet to bow their knees to him. I say this because this has to do with the words, by the mercies of God. I say this to try and help us so to speak, step back for a moment and remember all that God has done in our lives for those of us who have walked with him at length, that we might recapture through, so to speak, an alien perspective what God has offered us through Jesus Christ and what we have received and what our response should be. Real worship is the offering that is the sacrifice of our everyday life to God. What kind of sacrifice would that be when we present, as Paul says, present your bodies? Well, he uses the word bodies, but it isn't as though he is distinguishing this from the word yourselves. Present yourself, all of you. But the body, when he uses that expression, it represents the whole of me. It represents the whole of you, your presence in this world. You have a presence. Wherever you are, you have a presence because you have a body. You are the totality, as it were, of that body. 
And that is what is in view. It is your life in this world. And we are to present it as an offering, as a sacrifice, a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice, which is the response to God that is altogether reasonable and expected in worship. I remember as a, as a youngster, um, you know, in that six, seven, eight, nine range in particular, every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, mom would help me get ready for church. Ah, mom. And she'd dress me up and slick my hair down. And yeah, you know, she'd do that thing with her tongue. And I would fit, you know, and she would say, John, we're going to worship God. We want to give him our very best. We want to look our best. We want to present our best to him. Now, I don't think she was getting me dressed up like that so that other people could see her cute little boy. I know her heart. She truly wanted to give God her best. Every day, but especially when we gathered together with the other people in that formal opportunity to worship the Lord. That impressed me deeply. The Lord is worthy of our first and best. And that's never left me. There were times I ran from it, but I've never forgotten it. We don't bring a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. We are to be the first and best. And that tells us that true worship is a disposition and a stance of the heart that isn't just a matter of information or facts or knowledge. It's something that is an impulse. It, it works on the way we form our words and express our actions with the use of our hands, our face. It is a bodily sacrifice. The body, as I said, represents us, the whole of each person in the world. It's our presence in space and time. It is the location of our life. And Paul is saying, in response to what God has done, in redeeming your life, we belong to him. That's another way of putting it. Wherever we are, we are to be an offering. Chrysostom, who was um, a third century uh, Christian, and he was a Christian leader, he was a pastor, he was a writer, he asked the question, how should the body be a sacrifice? And this was his answer. Prevent your eye from looking at something evil. It has become a sacrifice. Do not let the tongue say something shameful. It has become an offering. 
Do not let the hand perform a lawless action. It has become a whole burnt offering. Yet these things are not enough. We must also perform good works. Let the hands give alms. Let the mouth bless those who abuse. Let the hearing devote itself continuously to listening to divine speech. For sacrifice has nothing impure about it. Sacrifice is the first fruits of all our actions. Let us then make a sacrifice to God of the first fruits of our hands, feet, mouth, and all the other members of our bodies. For when we do that, you see, we are, are we not showing the will of God? Are we not showing what we think of God? Are we not showing to others that he is God? We are. Because we have presented ourselves as a sacrifice. There's a word here I want us to appreciate before I uh, move on. And it's a Greek word. I, I mentioned a moment ago that there's a kind of a combination of words, and you might notice that when the translations get to that combination of words, they're so loaded that you, it's kind of like you have to understand the background and the setting and so forth, and, and it doesn't make for easy translation, and they differ slightly. Spiritual worship, service of spiritual worship, a reasonable spiritual worship, these are all expressions. But the word Service that is sometimes brought out is a word that has a pretty rich history, and words go through change. I mean, I remember uh, Michael Jackson kind of captured a, the new meaning for the word bad, which was good. And that was new. Not to me, but it was showing the change of words. Well, this word and I'll, I'll, I'll spell it in English if you want to look it up or write it down for your notes. L-A-T-R-E-U-I-N or E-U-O instead of E-I-N. You'll find it sometimes under both forms or what we call the form you would find it in the dictionary, the lexical form. Well, to begin with, this word... I would pronounce it latrevin. This word originally meant to work for hire, work for pay. And then it came to stand and express service, the service that you would provide or give to another. And then it came to denote that service to which you have given your whole life. So as when you say, I have dedicated my life to public service, or I have dedicated my life to the service of mankind in the study of medicine. You with me so far? And then the word became exclusively, almost completely used for worship of the gods in a polytheistic, mini-gods kind of world. To worship the gods. In the Bible, it's used exclusively of the worship of God. This is that devotion, that dedication that we offer 
to him. Now just, I contrast this uh, when we think of sacrificing the body, I contrast this with Olivia Newton-John. Do any of you remember Olivia Newton-John? She was an Australian uh, singer back in the 80s. um, Yeah, all my illustrations come from my past. (laughs) I got nothing funny to say recently. No, it's... But she had a song on the Billboard 100 top hits in the 80s for 10 weeks. That's over three months called physical. Physical. And there was this tag that, you know, and and when you think about it, for three months, hundreds of times that song was played. And then when you add up the times this riff in the song was repeated, let me hear your body talk. Let me hear your body talk. I'm changing the rhythm because I don't want to embed that tune in your head. (laughs) Yeah, I can hear it right now. I want to get physical, physical. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Let me hear your body talk, body talk, let me. You're going to curse me later today because. But now what I want you to think about I mean, you know what, if you want to use that to help you remember, let me hear your body talk. That's what the Lord is saying. Let me hear your life talk. You know, when we believe something, it's a what. What do you believe? Well, I believe this. And we, we share content, things that we subscribe to. And that's, that's important. But that's not the whole of faith. That's a very, that's a partial truth. And partial truth can be false. The other part of faith, beside belief, is trust. And trust is a who word not a what word. See, when you think of faith, it's who you trust. It should never be limited to just a list, an economy of beliefs or statements. That's easy. That's getting off easy. But when you trust God, that's a leaning word. It's a who that you trust. It's a person. It's a relationship. And it shouldn't be left for just one day a week. Or just when we're in great need. Because as we look at that third part about being transformed by the renewing of our minds, the whole purpose of our minds being renewed is that we should be able to show or demonstrate. You know what? I've moved to the ESV, but I don't like the way they render this expression here. I think I read it earlier. I know I did. That you may discern. Testing, you may discern. 
Yeah, well, the word has the quality of testing that you might prove. You're convinced. And you've heard the expressions of money, you know, how they used to test money because there wasn't a standardized coin. They often had to weigh it. Even our coins don't weigh what they're worth in the actual silver or money or material metal that they're supposed to contain. But back then, they actually did those kinds of things. They bounced it on the ground. They bid it. I can show you ancient texts where people from Paul's time talk about this because they wanted it to be demonstrated that it had that worth. That's what we are to do. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, if you're going to present your body a living sacrifice, then don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's being changed by this news, this truth that you can't get anywhere else. Real, it's, it all is through Jesus. I mean, we revere, we cherish the whole Bible. Do you know why? Because of Jesus. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't cherish the whole Bible. If it weren't for his death and resurrection, we wouldn't cherish it all. We cherish it as we do because of him. He's the news. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he's the promise of our inheritance, our future, and that God is good and he wins in the end. And that is a great resource because when you feel like you're being taken advantage of by loving other people when they do not deserve it, it is costing you. You're laying your life down. You're giving up again what you've given up to God to follow Jesus Christ. You're taking up your cross and following him. And it is costly. Why did we think that this was going to be some kind of a trip to paradise now? If we think that, it's because we're not reading the Word. We're not feeding our faith on the truth. You will not grow. You will not change without this new truth, without this new way. You have to feed on it because it goes back to Jesus. And it's a part of following him, becoming like him, because we are what we think. It really is that simple and yet that profound. We are what we think. Think about it. That was a little bit of a joke, but actually think about it. All of your decisions go to the way you are thinking about it. If you think it's bad, then you won't do it. If you think it's good, then you will. Especially if good means there's some payoff. Every choice, every decision is rooted in your thinking. A lot of your thinking has been sown and grown from childhood, from mom and dad, from school friends, from your education and professors, from your reading. But 
But how do you sort through that? How do you give it priority? How do you say this is right and that is interesting, but I'm not going to give my life to that? Jesus Christ. That's how you renew your mind. That's how you begin to change. When I was a youngster, I wouldn't live my life now. I was too selfish. Now I'm always thinking about Jesus. And when I'm not, then I get turned around quickly. I repent and get back on it. And that's the way we're to live our life. And you know what happens when we do that? Paul tells us. See, we're sorting, we're sifting, we're saying, because each and every one of us is being shaped by the world. It's thinking. But there's new thinking, thinking from above, thinking that's been revealed in Christ. That thinking, you know what I'm trying to say, that thinking has to be influencing our thinking, changing our heart, changing our outlook. We live differently because we know the heart of God through Jesus Christ. He is the incarnate expression, and we are to be that incarnate expression in our worlds and live that way. That, Paul says, is the purpose, and he says, by that we will show that God's will is good, acceptable, whole, and complete, and perfect. It won't just be written words and laws. We will be, as someone has said, the Bible that someone reads today. Will you stand? I want to encourage you to get in the Word. Read the Word. If you don't feel like you really know Jesus, read a gospel. And uh, when you read it, think about getting to know him, how he treats people, how he would treat you, how he would want you to treat others. Our entire lives have to do with the decisions that we make in the way we interact and treat other people. He represents the heart of God. You'll know the heart of God. You'll know his will. And remember this little expression. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to be up here with, along with pastoral staff, elders, wives. If you want to pray this morning, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, if you want to dedicate your life in some specific way, if you want to pray for yourself or for someone else, in intercession, we invite you to come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, from, for the work of your Holy Spirit who's been poured upon us because he is risen and has been seated at your right hand. And now we know you intimately through your spirit and your work in our lives, a work that we respond to by faith, a work that extends the territory and borders of your kingdom. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said. God bless you.